الحمد لله رب العالمين والعاقبة للمتقين ولا عدوان إلا على الظالمين وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله الحمد لله for this great blessing of coming together in the house of Allah to learn about his religion we always say this is a great blessing that needs to be thanked because you coming here this means Allah saw something good in you a lot of people wanted to come a lot of people Allah made it good for you to even hear this news a lot of people did not hear that there was a what class but for you to hear this for you then to be able to come this is a great blessings that deserve for us to say Alhamdulillah for inshallah ta'ala tonight we will talk about introduction to the book of Bulughul Maram and this book is a book of hadith that a author by the name of Ibn Hajar Al-Asqalani he wrote and he wrote this book for his own son he wrote this book for his own his own son and when Ibn Hajar was alive this son that he wrote it for he didn't learn this book he was actually very disobedient to him but when Ibn Hajar he passed away this son became a scholar he became a scholar. And this shows you that your children Your children, you don't know which one is going to be the one who's going to make dua for you tomorrow and will make umrah for you and will make hajj upon you. So the dad has to treat all of his children fair. The mom, she needs to treat all of her children also, also fair. For this book, it's a book of hadith. For this book, Bulughul Maram, is a hadith book. But it's hadith book mainly focusing on fiqh, mainly focusing on, on fiqh. And normally the way the fiqh books are organized, the way the fiqh books are organized when it comes to a hadith is the following. They first begin about talking about, they bring the hadith about water. Because you need to purify yourself, right? So they talk about the type of water. There is a pure water, and then there is a impure. There is a pure water, and then there is a impure water. So they, and then sometimes they say there is a water that is purifying. It's pure, but it's not purifying. All of this, they will talk about it in the beginning of the book. And then after they tell you about the water, then they tell you how to make wudu. They tell you how to make wudu. And then they talk about how to make ghusl. And then he'll bring a hadith of how to make tayammum. And then he'll tell you a hadith of how to clean your garment. And then a hadith of how the woman should clean herself after her menses. So all of this they usually bring in the beginning. After they're finished bringing the hadith of the water and how you purify yourself, then they talk about salah. They talk about the prayer. And when it comes to the prayer, they, the first chapter they talk about is about the timing of the prayer. Awqat as-salah. When does the salah come? And the first salah they usually bring is dhuhr. The first salah they bring is what? Is dhuhr. Why? Why do they bring Dhuhr? It was the first one? Revealed. Because Dhuhr is the first when Allah told the Prophet, when Allah told Jibreel to go teach the Prophet how to pray, Jibreel came down and he taught the Prophet how to make wudu first. And then after that, he taught him how to pray. And what time was it? It was Dhuhr. And also that's why when the Prophet also came to Medina, when he made Hijrah to Medina, the first prayer he prayed was what? Was Dhuhr as well. So this is why you find a lot of the fiqh books when it comes to Salah, the first Salah they talk about is Dhuhr. But we would think you would expect Fajr. The reason why Dhuhr because they look at the way it came down. After they talk about Salah, then they will talk about the rest of the pillars like zakah and Psalm and hajj 
before they actually talk about salah, after they talk about water, they also talk about utensils. Like the things that you need to carry this water. And they also talk about the animal skin. Which animal skin you can use to carry your what? Your water. So they talk about water, and then they talk about utensils, and then they go into the prayer, and then zakah, and then psalm, and then, and then hajj. Once they finish the act of worship, then now you know how to pray. And you are, now you know how to worship Allah. So you need to also make money. Now they talk about the books of transaction, Kitabul Biwa. They talk about how to earn money, the type of money that's allowed, the type of contract is allowed to have, the type of selling you're allowed to do, the type of selling you are not allowed to do. Once, they, once you are fixed how to make tahara, how to purify yourself, and you know how to pray, then they will tell you about the transaction. After they finish that section, then now you know how to worship Allah, and you have, you have money. Now they talk about the chapter of food, the type of slaughtering is allowed, what you can eat, what you cannot eat, the thing you can slaughter and the things you cannot slaughter. After they finish that section, now you know how to make wudu, you know how to pray, you know how to sell, now you also know what to eat, what's left now? Look, you're, you know how to worship Allah, you have money, your stomach is full. What's next? Marriage. And then after you are set this way, now they take you to the chapter of, of nikah, of marriage. What you should look for, what you should not look for, what are the ways to go about it, the way not to go about it, the type of sister to look for, the type of brother to look for, what is needed for the whole marriage. Then they come to the kitab of, 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 of marriage. After the book of marriage, at the end, even, even companions, they got divorced, right? So at the end, they talk about the chapter of divorce. If something happens and you have to go, you separate, there's a right way to do it. And at the end, now that marriage is gone and divorce is there, sometimes it brings what? A lot of problem between the families and things like that. So the last chapter is normally the chapter of blood. If somebody injured another person, if somebody hurt another person, what is the way to what? Get your payback. For normally, this is how the books of when you hear fiqh of hadith, when you hear fiqh of hadith, this is how is what? Organized. They start from water to tahara to utensils to the prayer and, and the, the kitab of you and like this, this is the, the order. The author of this book, he's called Shaykhul Islam. His name is Shaykhul Islam. And this title, you hear it a lot. For someone to have this title, he needs to have these five conditions. For someone to have the title, Shaykhul Islam, he needs to have these five conditions. The first condition is he needs to have knowledge of Islam. He needs to have knowledge of the Sharia of Islam. So if somebody is very, very knowledgeable about the dunya, can we call him Shaykh al-Islam? No. We are talking about someone who has knowledge that's referring to the knowledge of the, of, of the Sharia and knowledge of Islam. The second condition, this person needs to have contributed a lot to the Ummah. He has done what? A lot to the, for the Ummah of Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. In ways of knowledge, he wrote a lot of books or he defended Islam from people that wanted to change it at, in his time. But that's the second, that is the second condition. He has to have attributed a lot to Islam. And condition number three, he has to defend what? Islam. Someone who has defended Islam from his words or from his writing or from his knowledge of teaching. And number four, he needs to be known for his piety. The people around him should know him to be what? From Ahlul Taqwa and Ahlul Islah. Someone that is, has Taqwa of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the fifth condition, 
he should be somebody that the majority of the ummah has accepted him. So if, if one person only accepts and calls this person Shaykh al-Islam, no. It has to be someone that the majority of the ummah has what? Accepted and recognized for Like the four imams, the four imams of the madhahib. All of the ummah has what? Has accepted them. For someone to have this title, Shaykh al-Islam, it needs to have those five conditions. And the author of this book, as you will see, he was one of his, he was the Shaykh al-Islam of his time. And who's saying this? The scholars at his time are saying this. And the scholars that came after him also have said, and scholars of now also refer to him as Shaykh al-Islam. And his name is Ahmed ibn Ali ibn Muhammad ibn Muhammad al-Asqalani. His name is Ahmed ibn Ali ibn Muhammad ibn Muhammad al-Asqalani. And he has a kunya. He has a kunya. And a kunya is anything that begins with abu or or um. And his kunya is what? Abu al-Fadl. His kunya is what? Abu al-Fadl. And a kunya is a sunnah to have. A kunya is a what? Is a sunnah to have. Because it is way... Did our prophet have a kunya? What was his kunya? Abu al-Qasim. Can somebody name himself Abu Qasim? There's a hadith that the Prophet said, no one should name himself what? Abu Qasim. There are some Sahabas, their kunya is Abu Qasim. Some Sahabas and their children, their kunya is what? Abu Qasim. So how do you understand this hadith? The Prophet said, don't use this kunya Abu Qasim when he's alive. When he's what? When he was alive. And after his death, now this kunya is what? Is open to the ummah of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi, alayhi wa So this is how we understand that hadith that says no one should name themselves with the kunya of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa So Abu and Um is a kunya. And if a father has a son, like Brother Hussein, his name is Hussein, but I can also call him Abu Hamza or Abu Umar because he has two sons, their name is Hamza and, and Umar. What if somebody doesn't have a son or a daughter? Can he still have a kunya? They can still have a have, like who for example? Aisha radiallahu anha. What was her kunya? Um Abdullah. She's the mother of of Abdullahi. But did she have a son? No, she didn't. This kunya, can you have children? Can you name your kunya after a daughter? If a father has a son and a daughter, does he have to use the daughter first? Does he have to use his son kunya? Can he be called by his daughter kunya? Yes. Yes, he? Yes, he can. So his, his kunya is Abu Abul Fadl. And his family is from Al-Asqalan. This is the city that he was born. And this is, nowadays, this is where? Palestine. So he's from where? He was born and he's from Palestine. We ask Allah to give victory to the people of Palestine and to allow us to pray in Masjid Al-Aqsa and to give peace to Masjid Al-Aqsa. You know, Masjid Al-Aqsa is from our Aqeedah. Like, a lot of people, they may think that that Masjid only the Arabs have to worry about it or Palestine have to worry about it. No, that message belongs to all of the Muslims. So if it's part of our Iman. Is our, you have, if you love that message, that means you have strong Iman. So always when you remember that message, you have to make, you have to make dua that Allah opens it for the Muslims and Allah gives victory to it. So he is from Palestine. And he was born in the year 773. 773. And he was an orphan. He was a, a orphan. His father passed away when he was young. And his mother also passed away. First, the mom passed away. First, who passed away? The mother passed away. 
who is an orphan? Is an orphan somebody who lost their father only? Or is an orphan somebody who lost his mom only? Or if they lose this one of the two? Who's the orphan? The one who loses? The father. And who else? What, what, what if the father is alive and the mother is not alive? Are they orphan? No. A orphan is anyone who's missing any of their parents. If a mother is missing and the father is alive, he's considered what? But not the highest level of orphan. If the father is out and it's only his mom, then he's also still a, a orphan, but a higher level. But if he loses any of his parents or one of his parents, he's considered a, a orphan. And if you treat them special, you will have the reward that's attached to looking. The Prophet said, the one who looks after the orphan and me and him will be like, like this on the day of judgment. So if you find somebody who's, whose mom passed away, what if his father did not pass away, but the father is in prison for 40, 50 years? He still, he takes the ruling of a what? Of, of the orphan. He will take the, if you are nice to them and if you look after them, you will have the same, the same reward. But he grew up, his mother passed away and also his father passed away at a very young, at a very young age. He went to Quran school when he was five years old. And by the time he was nine, he was leading taraweeh in the haram. By the time he was nine, he started Quran at the age of and the age of nine, he was leading taraweeh in the, in, in the haram. And this shows you that, this shows you that if a person has knowledge, if he has knowledge and he knows the fiqh of salah, he can lead the people even if he's under puberty. Even if he's under what? If a person is under puberty, can he lead the people in salah? The most correct, when you look at the, 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 the seer of the Prophet, and when you look at the action of the companions, it's allowed as long as they have, as long as they have knowledge. For he was nine years old leading Taraweeh. And he also from Mecca, he went to Egypt to go, to go, to go seek knowledge. And he had about 800 different teachers. He had about how many? 800 different teachers. And how do we know this? We know this because Remember the son that he wrote this book for? His son at his time wasn't showing a lot of obedience to his father. But when he passed away, he wrote a book about his father. And if you want to learn about his biography, you have to go to that book. And he mentioned, so his own son mentions that his father had over 800, 800 teachers. And 55 of them were women. And 55 of them were, were women. And one of his teachers is his own wife. One of his teachers is his own wife that he used to get ijazah from. And when it comes to position that he carried, he was a teacher. And he was a mufti. And he was a khatib. And he was a judge in, for, in, in Egypt for 21 years. He was holding the position of qadi for 20, 21 years. And he was tested like the other scholars, he was tested by his peers. Other scholars, his level, they got jealous of him. And they blamed him on certain, on certain things. And they made some government to go what? Against him. Even one time, a man came to his house. And he showed him the books that he's working on. A, a book that would have been up to 700 volumes. And the man told them, you wrote all of this in this year? Within one year, you wrote all of that? He said, yes. As soon as the man left, a fire came and cut, you know, and burned all of those books. So Ibn Hajar, he says that most likely this was due to the, the evil eye. This was due to the evil eye of that man. And is the evil eye true? Evil eye, if it's not true, if somebody says it's not true, we say to him, you are not believing the Quran. Because what does the Quran say? Min sharri hasidin. Either when he shows the evil eye. Either hasad he means, oh Allah protect me when the evil eye is what? 
is, is being brought. And the evil eye is very dangerous. The Prophet وسلم, said, the evil eye will make a camel come on the plate. You know, so you look at a camel and you praise the camel, you show evil eye, you'll find that it's going to be slaughtered and people are going to eat it. The Prophet وسلم, when he saw the companion that had a good skin, he was taking a shower or he was taking a bath. And then some of his companions, they saw his what? His skin. And they said, what a beautiful skin you have. What, did, what happened to the companion? He fainted. And they told the Prophet this. The Prophet وسلم, said, if, you, if one of you see from his brother or his sister something good, let them what? Make dua for them. Let them ask Allah to give them barakah. Because if you don't, the evil eye will come. And the evil eye, look, the evil eye made Prophet Yusuf away from his father for 40 years. For 40 years, Yusuf did not see his father because of Hasid that was there within his brothers. But the evil eye is true and it's something that we have to, every day you have to read Quran on yourself. You know, Jibreel, imagine this, Jibreel would come down to do Ruqya on our Prophet Muhammad. Some people say, I don't need Ruqya. Imagine, Jibreel would come and would do Ruqya on the Prophet And the Prophet would do, imagine, you know, Hassan and Hussein, the two grandchildren of the Prophet. Imagine, you know, in Medina, there are always, you know, two young, beautiful children running around. They're, you know, they're related to the Prophet You know, their father is Ali. Their, their mother is who? Fatima. It's a great honor. The Prophet, every time he would see them, he would grab them and he would read Ruqya on them. He would do the same Ruqya that Prophet Ibrahim used to read on Ismail and, and Ishaq. So for me, I have a hard time understanding how a parent can send their children to school without reading any Quran on them. Very difficult for me to understand. Like how can you send your children outside the house with so many things that can happen to them, so many trouble that can, and you don't take the time to what? Even قُلْ وَاللَّهُ أَحَدُ قُلْ The parents, very important that you do ruqya on your, on your children. And we can, some of the scholars say this is sunnah, because the Prophet used to do it to Hassan and, 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 and Hussein. Some of Ibn Hajar, his accomplishment is that, he wrote 150 books. He wrote 150 books. And the one that is known the most is that he wrote an explanation of Sahih Bukhari. The biggest book that he's known for is what is called Fathul Bari. And this book, Fathul Bari, is an explanation of Sahih Al Bukhari. And it took him 25 years to write this book. It took him how long? 25 years to put together. This, this book. And there's nobody that you mention Sahih Bukhari except they will mention this book to you. Nobody. There's no library, no library, or even student of knowledge house. You go to their house, you will find this what? Fathul. If you say Sahih Bukhari, they will say Fathul Bari. If you say Fathul Bari, they will say Sahih Bukhari. When it comes to Sahih Bukhari, the book that's known is, is Fathul Bari. And who wrote it? Ibn Hajar and he died in the year 825 after the Hijrah he died 825 after the Hijrah for this book how does he break it down he break down this book into three Kitab Bab and Fasl Kitab meaning this is the topic so for example he will say Kitab Tahara he will say the book of the purification so kitab means what? The topic. So he will say kitab, kitab al-tahara, the book of purification. After this now he will bring a bab. He will bring now, from this topic he will bring a specific chapter. He will bring a specific chapter. So he will say kitab al-tahara, purification. This is the book, the book of purification. Then he will say the chapter of bab al-wudu. The chapter of Wudu. So wudu is part of tahara. So you have kitab, bab, and then you have 
fasl. And in the fasl, he will say, you know, shurut al-wudu, for example. He will say what? The shurut, the conditions of, of the wudu. For this book, the way he breaks it down is by kitab. This is the topic. And then he will say, the bab. This is the chapter. And then he will say, the fasl. This is a specific issue under, under the bab. So you have kitab al-tahara. Then he will say what? Bab al-wudu. Fas shurut al-wudu. The conditions of, of, of wudu. For this is how this book is, is broken down. And we will go straight to the chapter of fasting. Yes. His name is Ali. What's his name? Say it again. Ahmed ibn Ali ibn Muhammad ibn Muhammad al-Asqalani. And al-Asqalani, this is where he's from. And this is a place in where? In Palestine. Now we're here for fasting. What is the meaning of fasting? Ramadan is coming. And you know, in, in Islam, before you do something, what do you have to have? Knowledge. Look, the five pillars of Islam. The What's the first pillar, Moise? The Shahada. Allah, what does Allah say about the Shahada? Fa'lam annahu la ilaha. Allah says, have knowledge of la ilaha illallah. Let them know that Allah. So you have to have knowledge before La ilaha illallah. What about Salah? The Prophet said, Pray as the way the Prophet prayed. For Zakah, what does Allah say? Give out the, the portion. Give out the haq when, when the portion comes out. This is referring to zakah. For fasting. What did the Prophet say? Sumu luru'yati. Fast when you see it and break your fast when you. This is referring to the moon. Requires you, and you need to know when Ramadan begins, how does it begin? And when it comes to Hajj, the Prophet said what? Take from me your ways of making hajj. But what we're doing now is a great act of worship. Ramadan is coming and we're trying to learn about Ramadan so that when Ramadan comes, we can taste the what? The sweetness of Ramadan. But what, does, what does fasting mean? Fasting means to abstain, to hold back. Linguistically, it means to what? To hold back. Maryam alayhi salam, she said, Inni nagartu lirrahmani sawma. I, I promise, I made a vow to Allah that I'm going to hold back. What is she going to hold back from? She's going to hold back from talking. But when she said hold back, she said sawma. So sawm means to what? To hold back. This is what it means in the language. In Islam, what does fasting mean? In Islam, fasting means Fasting, now it means that you are holding back from certain things. When you're fasting, do you hold back from everything? When you're fasting, do you hold back from everything? No, you hold back from certain, from certain things. And you hold back for a certain time. When you're fasting, do you hold back for the whole day, the whole night? For a certain time. So fasting means you're holding back from certain things. And you're holding back for a certain time. And you're doing this with a certain intention. You're doing this with a certain intention. And what is your intention? As worshiping Allah. Because some people, they fast. They don't drink and they don't eat. The same, maybe longer than you. But they're doing that to lose weight. Or they're doing that to, to prepare themselves for a surgery tomorrow. You, the person, he needs to hold back from certain things. And what are those things? We're going to come to them in the hadith. But everything that breaks your fasting, you'll hold back from. And everything Allah told you to stay away from while you're fasting, you hold back. 
and you hold back for a certain time. And what is that time from the sun? Sunrise until sunset. And you're doing this with a specific intention that is worshiping Allah. This is the definition of, of fasting. And we know that in Islam, we have actions, we have ibadat, we have worship that requires for you to do something. Like what? Salah. Salah requires what? Action. Tawaf requires for you to do action. Ibadat fi'liya. Ibadat that you have to do. And then you have also ibadat tarkiya. Some, some worships you have to what? Part of you worshiping Allah, you have to leave it. And this is example. Fasting is what? Fasting is an example that you're worshiping Allah by leaving certain things. And also you have ibadat maliyya. You have worship that is what? With, with, with your money. Like what? Hajj. And also zakah. And this is from the blessing of Allah. Look, if you look at the five pillars of Islam, you have action that requires for you to spend money. Action that requires for you to do something with your body. Action that requires for you to stay away from something. Action that requires for you to say something. Use your, your tongue. And all of this is a blessing from Allah. One side of it is a blessing. And another side is a test from Allah. It's a blessing from Allah because for somebody, it's easy for them to give zakah all the time. But it's hard for them to what? To fast. So with this person, Allah gave you the ability, you can do a lot of sadaqah. But make sure you have to fast what? Ramadan. Another person, it's hard for them to pray at night. But it's easy for them to fast. So this person, we say, increase in the thing that you what? That you enjoy, that Allah made it easy for you. So it's a mercy from Allah. At the same time, it's a test from Allah. Yes, you don't like to give, but you have to give a certain amount. That's called the what? Zakah. You don't, you don't like to fast, okay, but there's a month you have to fast. And that is the month of? So it's a mercy from Allah in one aspect, and it's also a test from, from, from Allah. So this is the meaning of fasting. Fasting means to hold back. When did fasting become wajib upon us? Now, when did, when did fasting become obligation upon the Muslims? It became obligation upon the Muslims the second year after the Hijrah. So the, whole, the Muslims, when they were in Mecca, was Ramadan wajib? Ramadan was not wajib. Were they fasting? Yes, they were fasting. When they came to Medina, the first year was Ramadan wajib? The second year, the second year Allah sent the ayah, Ya ayyuhal ladina amanu, kutiba alaykum usiyam, kama kutiba ala ladina, min qablikum la'allakum. Look at this ayah. Even this ayah shows to you how Allah is talking to us. And one of the scholars said, this is as if Allah is talking to his like children, small baby, you know, about fact. He said, Ya ayyuhal ladina amanu, he called you by your iman. And anytime in the Quran, Allah calls those that have Iman, what should we do with our ear? We should be very eager to listen. Because Allah is calling us, O oh, you who believe. Then Allah said, Kutiba alaykum. And Allah didn't say, Furida alaykum. Or Allah didn't say, Wajaba alaykum. Allah said, Kutiba. And Allah used, it has been written. To let you know that this is something written way before. Before you were even created, Allah wanted us to fast. Kuti, kuti, Allah says, because in the Quran, sometimes Allah will give us Sigatul Amr in different ways. Sometimes Allah will say, Inna Allah ya'muru. Allah commands you to do this. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will say, I'malu, do this. And sometimes Allah says, Aqimu, establish this. And other ways, Allah by saying, Kutiba. Allah says, fasting has been prescribed. It's been written upon you already long time ago. Then Allah says to you, you are not the only one that has to fast. Just like those before you too, you're not the only one that's going to fast. Don't think you're the only one. Also the nation before you, Allah tells you, I also wrote fasting upon them. Then Allah tells you a peace of mind. 
the benefit of fasting. Then Allah says, لَعَلَّكُمْ تَتَّقُونَ So that you may attain taqwa. Then you, Allah is going to tell you again, it's not for a long time. أَيَّامًا مَعْدُودًا It's not for a long, it's only for a short amount of days. Then Allah also tells you, it's not for everybody. فَمَنْ كَانَ مِنْكُمْ مَرِيضًا أَوْ عَلَى سَفَرْ فَعِدَّةٌ مِنْ أَيَّامٍ If you are sick or if you are traveling, then you can make this up for another, another time. For even the way Allah prescribes fasting upon us, it's in a very beautiful way. For this ayah came down to the Muslims when the second year after, after, after the hijrah. So now we know what fasting means and we know when it became wajib. Now, how many fasting did the Prophet fast? How many? Nine fasts. So the Prophet witnessed how many Ramadan? Nine, nine Ramadan. And this fasting, the way we fast now, is this how it became? No, it became in stages. Because some of, when Allah commands us to do something, sometimes Allah will tell us how it is one time. Sometimes Allah will break it down into stages. And this is from His mercy. Like Salah, for example. Before we had to pray five times a day, how were the Muslims praying? They used to pray two, two in the morning and then two in the, in, in, in the evening. And then when they had to pray five times, they would pray all of them by only praying two, two. No, and then later on, it became the way we know now. When they came to Medina, it became the way we know now. So to show you that even some of the command, Allah will bring it in what? Stages. Also, some of the prohibition, some of the things we need to stay away from, will also come in what? Stages. Like alcohol. How did it come in stages? First, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told us what? First, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said that, you know, First, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, قُلْ فِيهِمَا إِثْمٌ كَبِيرٌ وَمَنَافِعُ لِلنَّاسِ وَإِثْمُهُمَا أَكْبَرُ مِنْ نَفْعِهِمَا Allah, first Allah said that what? The alcohol, there is small benefit, but a lot more what? Harm. And the harm that it comes with, overrides the what? The benefit. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then told us, stay away from alcohol when you are, when you are praying. لا تقربوا الصلاة وأنتم سكارة. And then at the end Allah said, stay away from the whole thing. رِجْسٌ مِنْ عَمَلٍ الشَّيْطَانِ This is the, 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 the work of the shaitan. For even the prohibition came in in stages. And the command also came in stages. Fasting is also the same thing. The first fasting that was wajib, the first fasting that was wajib before Ramadan is the fasting of Ashura. You know the month of Muharram? This also called Shahrullah. It's called the, 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 the month of of, of Allah. This, this Muharram, the 10th day, Ashura is when Allah what? Saved Musa salam from, from Fir'aun. This day was well known in Mecca. It was well known in what? In, in Mecca. So they, before they even came to Medina, it was well known in, in Mecca. And the Prophet wasallam used to fast this day in Mecca. And he used to advise and command the companions to also, also fast. Then when they came to Medina, when they came to Medina, the first year of Medina, the Prophet also fasted Ashura. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent down Ramadan. When Allah sent down Ramadan, Ashura became what? Sunnah. Ashura was first what? Wajib. Now when Ramadan came, Ashura became? Sunnah. And when Ramadan first came, you had an option. Either you fast, if you want, you can fast, or if you don't want, you can feed some. Allah says that, and if the one who doesn't want to fast, you have the option of feeding the person. And you and that, you who fed somebody and you who fasted is the same level. There was not, 
nothing showed that this is better than the other. So when Ramadan came, it was optional. You can fast or you can feed somebody. The third stage now, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, فَمَنْ شَهِدَ مِنْكُمُ Now, you have to fast Ramadan unless you are traveling or unless you are what? Sick or unless, you know, you are given birth and, and, and you are you go, you're going through natural blood. Other than that, everyone else has to what? Who's, who's, who's made wajib to fast should fast. So the first fasting that was wajib was the fasting of Ashura. And the second fasting, then Ashura. Then the second way of fasting was that Ramadan became wajib and Ashura became but the way Ramadan fasting was what? Optional. Either you fast or you don't. And then after that, the third step, the third stage was that it became the way we, 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 know, we know now. From the Quran, two places made, made it wajib. From the Quran, two places made fasting wajib. Ya ayyuhalladina amanu kutiba alaykum siyam And also, فَمَنْ شَهِدَ مِنْكُمُ الشَّهْرَ فَلْيَصُمُ These two ayah made Ramadan to be what? Wajib. And from the sunnah, from the sunnah, if somebody says to you, show me the proof that Ramadan is wajib from the sunnah, what are you going to say? Huh? Sumu li-ra'atu. You can say that, but you can even use less than that. That's an advanced hadith. You can even use, you can say, Hadith Jibreel. Bunya al-Islam ala khams. Hadith Jibreel and Hadith of Abdullah bin Umar. That, and Hadith Jibreel is called the mother of the Sunnah. Hadith Jibreel. This Hadith is called Hadith Jibreel. It's called the mother of the Sunnah. Just like Surah Fatiha is called the mother of the Quran. And Mecca is called the mother of the the mother of Umm al-Qura. The mother of all of the all of the time. So this shows you Hadith Jibreel is a very important Hadith. That Hadith is a proof that because when, the, when Jibreel came to the Prophet and said, tell me about Islam, what did the Prophet say? Islam is Shahada, Salah and Zakah and song, fasting. For now, we all know the proof for fasting. If somebody says to you, what is the proof for fasting? You will say the proof for fasting is the hadith of Jibreel from the Sunnah. And from the Quran, you're going to say, Kutiba alaykum as-siyam. And if somebody asks you, how many Ramadan did your Prophet fast? You're going to say, none. And if somebody asks you, what is did Ramadan, is it, is, is it the same way as we know now? You're going to say, no, it came in stages. And if somebody asks you now, what is the meaning of fasting? What are you going to say? It means to hold back. You hold back from everything? From certain things, right? For a certain amount of time. With a certain, you have to have these three. You have to say, stay away from certain things for a certain time and a for a specific for a specific intention. Now the word, now we talked about song. What about Ramadan? What does the word what? Ramadan mean? First and foremost, this is out of the 12 months in Islam, this is the one of the most special months. And the way you know it's special, it's the only month that's mentioned in the, in the Quran. Allah said, Shahru Ramadan alladhi unzila fihi al-Quran. And the scholars, they differ, which is the best month? They differ in which is the what? Because we there's another month, it's called the month of Allah. What month is that? Muharram is called the month of Allah. So they say which one is better? Ramadan or Muharram? And we say Ramadan is what? Is 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 much higher because of the blessing that it has. A lot of things happens in Ramadan that only happens in the month of of, of Ramadan. Ramadan, it means linguistically, this word linguistically, it means what? Intense heat. It means what? Intense heat. And it comes from the word called what? Ramda. Ramda. And Ramda, 
the Arabs they used to say don't walk there because your feet cannot even you cannot put it down because it's, it's so hot you know when you, if you go outside with no slippers and it's it, around 11 o'clock in the middle of the summer it's very hard for you to what uh, put your feet down because of the heat but that type of heat that sometimes you can even cook eggs outside it's called what Ramda because of the intense heat and how do they name this how do they name this the, the, the Arabs they used to name the months by according to the weather like you have Rabi' Al-Awwal Rabi' Al-Thani so they would use the weather to what another special thing about Muharram is the Prophet changed that name this is the only month that the so if somebody asks you what is the only month that was named by our Prophet you will say what Muharram all all of the other months it was there when the Prophet became a Prophet and how did the Arabs name this month by the what by the weather for Ramadan they, they gave it this month Ramda which means what intense intense heat and there is a relationship between Ramadan and fasting between intense heat that burns and and fasting because when you fast what are you burning your sins in Ramadan you have so many chance to burn your sins if you just stand up for Qiyam you just pray Taraweeh and the scholars they say even Qiyam is anything from Maghrib is Qiyam what is considered Qiyam? Maghrib is considered what? part of Qiyam layl because Qiyam is any prayer that you pray when the sun what? goes down anyone who stands up to pray that includes your, your wajibat of Maghrib and Isha then you have Taraweeh then you have the last 10 nights if you pray this you'll have your sins forgiven whoever what fast Ramadan you will have your sins forgiven okay you can't, you can't stand the last 10 nights if you stand just one of the night Laylatul Qadr you will have your sins forgiven you don't do anything you just live to Ramadan Ramadan ila Ramadan kafara you didn't do anything Allah blessed you to live to what that's why that's why the Prophet never asked for more life except except for Ramadan when no any no other time you will find the Prophet asking Allah to increase his life except when he was close to Ramadan he would say Allahumma balighna Ramadan and this is it shows you how living coming to Ramadan itself it's, it's a blessing for this is the relation between the Ramadan and, and fasting now there are different types of fasting the first type of fasting is a wajib fasting it's a fasting that is what obligation upon you and this obligation can become obligation upon you in three ways it, be, it can become obligation upon you in in three ways the first way is due to time you didn't do anything but time comes you have is now what fasting is wajib what time are we talking about Ramadan look we're not doing anything the month of Ramadan is coming once Ramadan comes fasting becomes what wajib that's the first way the second is that fasting will become wajib upon you because of a reason because of it because of a reason so for example you didn't you missed a day in Ramadan you're, you you traveled so or you were sick so you missed two three days those two three days will become what it's still wajib upon you but why is it wajib is it because of the time no it's because of a of a reason and that reason is what kafara you are making up what happened in, in Ramadan also, it can become wajib upon you because of something you will do to yourself. So for example, you say, Oh Allah, if you give me that job, Wallah, I'm going to fast Monday and Thursday. And you open your email, you get the letter of acceptance. Now, now to fast Monday, Thursday, that week becomes what? But who made that? Who caused that? You did it yourself. So Ramadan can become wajib in? In three ways. Because of time and that is Ramadan 
or because of a reason, or you go to Hajj and 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 you did you did you broke some of the violation there. So what, some of, some of the things you have to fast, or you miss Ramadan, so you have to fast. So it can be because of time, or because of a reason, or because of a something that you bring bring to yourself. So this is called the obligation fasting. And obligation fasting doesn't go from these three. It, it goes, it's one of these three. If somebody's fasting and he's doing obligation, if you look into his condition, it's gonna be one of these, one of these three. And then you have a fasting that is sunnah. You have a fasting that is what? Sunnah, like what? Mondays and Thursdays. Ashura. The white days. Arafah. Shawwal as well. For those are also, these are known as what? Sunnah. Sunnah fasting. And then you have makru fasting. It's dislike for you to fast. So fasting takes all the five rules. Wajib, Sunnah, and also makru. What, what is makru? What, what is makru fasting? To, to say I will only fast on, you single out Friday. It's Jum'ah. Why are you fasting? It's Friday and it's a blessed day. Allah mentioned this day in the Quran. A whole surah came down. Allah named it Friday. I want to fast this day. And He does it every single day. Now we say, what you're doing is you are glorifying Friday and not the action of, of fasting. And if they say, but you glorify Ramadan, then we say because Ramadan is something Allah what? Glorified and said, فَمَنْ شَهِدَ مِنْكُمُ الشَّهْرَ So, but can you fast on Friday? If, for example, you have a day to make up from Ramadan. And the only day you can make up is on Friday. All of the other week, Monday to Thursday and Saturday, Sunday, you're very, it's very tough for you physically to fast. But Friday you're off and you can fast. Can this person fast? We say this person can fast and he should fast because when you owe Ramadan you have to get it out fast when you owe if you didn't finish your Ramadan and you have days to finish it's better that you do it what fast and and this is what we are more concerned with we're concerned with what you given the because fasting belong you this is a right that you have to give back to Allah for we are concerned of you lifting this obligation from yourself so if, if Friday is the only day, then, 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 then you can fast. But to make it regular, we say this is an issue. What, what's another day to fast that's dislike? Huh? This is haram to fast. Yeah, we're going to come to it. The days of Eid, can you fast? No. The days of Eid, like, like uh, the days of Tashriq, and Eid al-Fitr, and Eid al-Adha, can we fast these days? No, it's haram to fast that day. So, so that is a haram fasting. Another dislike fasting is to fast only on Saturdays. To fast only on Saturdays. But if you have a reason, you can, you can fast. It's also dislike to fast the day of doubt. You know the day of doubt? So for example, they look outside, they look to see if the new moon is here. And when they look at the new moon, it's very cloudy. A lot of cloud you cannot see the moon you cannot see with anything and today is is the 29 today is the is the night of the 29 so tomorrow will be what 30 in here the day of 30 is considered the day of doubt because no one is able to see the new the new moon no one can say I saw it and no one can say I didn't see some so now this day of, of doubt no no one should say i'm gonna fast tomorrow just in case i'm gonna fast tomorrow just in case the moon was there or not this is called the day of the day of doubt and because why is it dislike to fast that day because we have instruction of what to do the prophet said that you know if you don't see it then what should you do? You count 30 days. If you don't see the new moon, you will, you will complete the whole, the whole month. So if the thing is not clear, then we will 
complete the whole Dahoba. And this day is called the day of the day of shak or the day of doubt and is disliked to fast on that day. Is also disliked to fast continuous back to back to back without breaking. You fast Monday, then you fast. Tuesday, then you fast. Wednesday, then you fast. Thursday, then no. If you're going to fast, then do the fasting of Prophet Dawood. Fast every every other day. And also you have fasting that is haram. Like what? The days of Eid. And also if a woman is on her menses, can she fast? What if she said, I will fast? Then we say this fasting is what? It's, it's haram. Inshallah ta'ala. Um, what about fasting for Ashura just like the 10? Like not doing, you, you, like, you know how some people do 9 and 10 or 10 and 11? What if you only do the 10? So to fast Ashura only on, on the, so Ashura is the month of Muharram. And that month is a month that anyway we should increase our good, our good deeds. But the scholars they mention levels to 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 this narration, and they mention that the highest narration, the highest thing to do, is you fast the three days. What are those three days? The nine, the ten, and the eleven. For many benefit. The first benefit is that you will be fasting a lot in. In a, in a blessed month, in a sacred month. Is Muharram the sacred month? Sacred month? What are the four sacred months? Three in a row? Alhamdulillah. Say it again. Muharram and Rajab. So you have three months in a row and one on, one on its own. The Islamic calendar, the first month is sacred, Muharram. And the end is also sacred, Tulhij. And in the middle is also, you have what? Rajab. Muharram is a sacred month. So for you to fast these three days in a sacred month is a, good, is a good bonus. And then you have another hadith of the Prophet. That the Prophet said he would have fasted the 9, 10 and the 11. Although this hadith, some scholars they say is what? It's little between, but we can use it here. So now you have, it's a sacred month. It's a month where we are supposed to increase our good. Also, you will be safe from if, the, if the, maybe the moon was inside it correctly. And the 10th of Ashura could have fell on the one day before or one day. So if you fast all three, you will be, you will be, you will be safe. But the highest is that you fast 9, 10 and, and 11. The second level is that you fast nine and nine and ten. And the third is that you fast what? Ten and and eleven. And the fourth one, then you just fast on the on, on the tenth. By the way, the Prophet وسلم, when he came to Medina, when he came to Medina, he saw, we saw we know the hadith, right? The Prophet, he saw the people in Medina doing what? They were just nice. The young kids were just nice. The old men were just well. The young, the, the, the Shababs were playing around. So the Prophet said, what's going on? He asked the people in Medina, what is what? Going on. And what does that show you? When the Prophet asked the people, what's going on? What does that show? That shows that the Prophet doesn't have the knowledge of Everything. Some Muslim, because they love the Prophet so much, they love the Prophet out of love so much, they place him in a place where the Prophet told us, don't what? Don't put me. Out of love, they will say the Prophet is hadir now there. They will say the Prophet is here now. And he can see us and can hear us. And the Prophet knows. He knows what was in the qalam. You know, Allah al-Mahfuz, they say that you know what's in the qalam. And they say this out of love of the Prophet. But is that how the Prophet wants us to worship him? No. The Prophet, he came to Medina, he, he said to the people, what is going on? And they said, this is, this is the, the, the Jewish community here. They're celebrating because this is the day Allah saved them from Fir'aun. 
Then the Prophet said, we have more haq to, to Musa. If I live until next year, I'm going to what? I'm going to fast one day. So that I am not what? I am not, I, I don't, we, don't, we are not exactly the same. Did the Prophet live the next year? No. But in the beginning of the lecture, I said that Ashura was wajib before Ramadan. What did I say? Ashura was what? Wajib before? Before Ramadan. So how do you understand this? Do you guys see? The Prophet used to fast Ashura in what? In Mecca. And also he fasted Ashura in the first year in Medina. We say that the Prophet وسلم, in the beginning, he didn't use, he did not use, he was not concerned with, with being different than the other nations and the other religion. He was busy teaching his what? His Sahaba. And it is only the last two or one year and a half before his life that you have the many of the hadith that says that, you know, pray with your slippers because they don't pray with their, uh, pray with your shoes because they don't pray with their, with their shoes. When the Prophet said, you know, let the beard flow and trim the mustache because this is, this is not what they, all of this narration came at the end of his, at the end of his life in Medina. So the Prophet he used to fast Ashura because if you take this hadith, you would only think the Prophet fasted only one Ashura in Medina. But no, the, the, the Prophet fasted all of those Ashura. But it is at the end that he said, next year we will be what? Different than that. And, and the year the Prophet Allah did not will for him, you know, to be in this dunya. So this is Ashura. Ashura, the best is that you fast 9, 10 and 11 or 9 and 10 or 10 and 11 or you only fast 10, 10 by itself. Inshallah, we will stop here. Subhanakallah, alhamdulillah, ashamdulillah, ashamdulillah. So you have fasting that is wajib. And the fasting that is wajib is what? It can become wajib on you in three ways. Because of time. You live in Ramadan comes, is wajib. Or it becomes wajib on you because of a reason. You know, kafar, you have to make up something. Or it will become wajib because of a? Because of a promise that you made. And then we said fasting is also sunnah. And we mentioned the sunnah, the sunnah fasting. And we mentioned that fasting can also be makruh. And the fasting that's makruh is what? To fast on the days of? The days of Eid. And we mentioned fasting is also can be haram. And this fasting is like what? If, if you know, if, if, if a woman's on her, Menses and she says, I will fast. And we say, no, you now you are breaking, you are breaking. So these are the, the four. The main, the main. Also, some they mentioned there's a bid'ah fasting. And they say the bid'ah fasting is the fasting where the person, he fasts on the day of shak. He fasts on the day of, the day of doubt. But we say this is not bid'ah, we say this is makruh fasting. We don't say bid'ah because some of the companions used to fast on this day. And we know the companions, they don't fall into this is a principle that they don't fall into these tablets. So, the day of doubt, we say this fasting goes under the makruh, makruh type of fasting. Uh, what Insha if it falls on Mondays? Sorry. What if it falls on Mondays or Thursdays? If it's kind of you do it, you do it, then that's fine. Right? If they. Uh, yeah, ahsan, yes. So now, what if the day of doubt? What if also there's a what if what if the day and we're gonna talk about that because the first hadith about the day of doubt. Okay. That's yes. Inshallah next time because we I'm, we plan to finish this in like three settings. So next time we will just read the hadith and mention benefit. Read the hadith and mention benefit. Read the hadith and mention the benefit. even we didn't talk about what is fiqh. You know? We didn't talk about you know, in the to explain 
we didn't talk about what is the difference between fiqh and usul fiqh and qawaid fiqh you know we didn't talk about also the difference between fiqh of madhab and fiqh of hadith you know I didn't talk about all this because of and even now it's still late so all of that we don't have to really go into it from next class we will take from hadith number one Read the hadith, take benefit. Read the hadith, talk about the neighbors, and take benefit. Insha'Allah ta'ala. Subhanakallah wa alhamdulik. Ashadu an la ilaha 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 astaghfiruka. One or two. Anything wrong we said is from my lack of knowledge and from the shaytan. Anything good we said is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Who is the first one to say this? We hear it a lot, right? Who is the first one to say this? Abdullah bin Mas'ud. Abdullah bin Mas'ud, when he, was, when he would finish his circle, he would say, anything good, that I have said is from Allah. Anything bad, because the more you talk, the more what? You know, things are, anything wrong you said is from the shaitan and from the shortcoming of the person.